Welcome to Inclusive Disruption, the CSA podcast hosted by me, Charlotte Sweeney, and I'm joined by leaders and specialists in the diversity, equity and inclusion sector. And our goal is to unleash more inclusive cultures. And we do that by having these conversations and picking people's brains, getting different views and different perspectives. On this episode, I am delighted to be joined by Lane Montgomery, who is a diversity, equity and inclusion lead and has a very varied career of advising many different organisations um, around this work. Outside of work, Lang volunteers a huge amount and also mentors a number of young people. And I'm sure we'll get into some of those aspects around that mentorship um, a little bit later into this episode. So I just want to say hi. Thank you so much for joining us, Lang. Um, and I'm going to jump in with a very first question. And the very first question is, why do you do what you do in this space? Great. Well, firstly, Charlotte, thank you so much for having me along. It's a pleasure to be with you today. Um, and that question is fabulous and a bit tough, too. Um, <laughs> if I think about why do I do what I do, um, I think back to how we're all brought up. Lots of us are told as children, you know, you should be, you know, follow your dreams, be whoever you are. Um, and I think that also with organisations, they often say they want you to bring your whole self to work. And, you know, I was brought up very clearly being told to be myself. And so I think that that's really important so really it's out of authenticity was my main sort of that was one of my main inspirations that led me to this because I think that doing the work that we do we're able to open up organizations more have different conversations create better equity and at least look at perhaps what we're doing directly or indirectly that might not be creating the right opportunities for people. And when was it Leng that you decided that this was a career path for you? Um, I think that I definitely, I kind of fell into this career a little bit in some ways, but there were some clues to my career before I knew it existed, really. So back at university, I studied photojournalism. And it was there that I realised that I had a very strong affiliation with loving to create a lot of my projects around underrepresented people, but in terms of them getting to tell their own story rather than just as being fair to media narrative. So, for example, one of my favourite projects that I did was with some Muslim women. I was able to photograph them in their own home environments and, you know, we had a bit of conversation and dialogue. And it was around why they choose to wear a hijab because they're a little bit upset with being told that they that you're being forced to wear one and that those kind of narratives. And then my dissertation project was a very interesting one actually because I turned what was often used as an insult given to a certain group of people into a question because I thought actually there is a conversation in there. So I, I so I photographed some people who are in the LGBT sort of community or particularly lesbian community known as femme identified people so people that look very feminine or there sort of seems to be there and my question to him was well it was an insult sort of why don't you just go out with a man because a lot of them or the people that I particularly met tended to like quite masculine you know sort of masculine representations of femininity or even went out of trans males but wouldn't necessarily go out of a cisgender man so yeah. what was an insult to them I turned it into a question because I wanted to explore the sort of the layers within there because actually I thought there was a conversation to be had and again I photographed everyone in their own environments that they're choosing so it was things that tied to their identities and 
in those settings, I just found that rather than just being informed, I wanted to hear from other people directly before I made up my own opinion, or at least providing space where people could at least hear another side rather than just being fed one narrative. So I suppose that was one clue. The -hmm. next clue came when I was 25. Um, which was 14 years ago now, I've realised, and I'd started to transition. And it was from transitioning that in the first few years, I unfortunately experienced quite a lot of discrimination when it came to um, trying to get a job. I did a whole TED talk on it literally a while ago in 2018. But, you know, in a three-year period, I had hundreds, literally hundreds of job rejections. And what I started to do oddly was I started to log them on a spreadsheet because I noticed that the more open I was about who I was in certain applications, I noticed there was a negative correlation. Even when it came to a few interviews that I did have, when disclosing that I had a transgender identity, I had a number of reactions which to me indicated something else but then bringing intersectionality into it a little bit there were other things happening too which made me think wow for other candidates not just not just about me disclosing I had a transgender identity this is interesting so even my name Lang I had people saying oh I was expecting someone Chinese here and you know there'd just be these moments that were happening and I know from looking at data and looking at how you know some I can see why some people have actually changed their name um And so I suppose from things like that, that sort of slowly but surely, I I was very determined and I started to volunteer at a few places. And it was really when I was working at Stonewall for a while, um, when I was working particularly on the Workplace Equality Index, that Mm -hmm. from working on that specifically and benchmarking a bit, it gave me a wider appetite to want to pursue a sort of broader DE&I career, partly because I love doing the index, but I didn't just want to be focused on LGBT. I wanted to look at everything and also realising that people People could have a job that could actually make things a bit more accessible for people. Um, I realised that was the best next step for me. And I still love my photography and art, but that wasn't going to pay my bills. Yeah. And I, and I guess the the way that you posed the questions through the use of photography had the opportunity to be really provocative, I guess, and and get into some conversations that naturally are uncomfortable to have or people don't want to go there yes I definitely realized that with quite a lot of my work and it and to be fair it wasn't intentional in a way I suppose some areas of my identity it's not intentionally provocative but actually by default for some it will be and I think some of that bears in mind perhaps how we socialize but I think a lot of it now actually boils down to how genuinely do we accept difference to us and how much of the same would we like to have? And I think partly, even if I reflect on certain microaggressions that have been said to me for a long time, these aren't ones that actually hurt. I realised that I'd actually become a bit desensitised to them. But the amount of times that, because within, within me as well, I mean, I'm not going to play diversity bingo with you now, but I'm just going to be very honest about a couple of points. So I am a white looking mixed race person. So my father was half Jamaican. He had Asian heritage. My mum's British English was brought up in Malaysia. I get told I look Italian. I'm very aware that I look like a white male a lot of the time. Obviously, gender identity wise, I have been, I transitioned 14 years ago. So I've only been male for 14 years, really. And in, you know, all sorts of sense of the word. So there's those there's that element too. The third one is I'm also dyslexic. People don't know that. Um, I'm first 
person in my family to have gone to university. I was brought up on benefits in a single parent household. So these are other elements that people don't always know about me that are some might be visible, some might not. Um, But what I've realised is that sometimes by disclosing things about myself, people behave differently. But within all of what I've just disclosed now, one thing that I've been told time and time again is some people say they're going, oh, well, thank you for telling me. Or like, oh, okay. I've had, oh, well, that's interesting. Well, I suppose I'm just a normal person. And I've had that one said to me quite a number of times. So it's interesting people saying the word normal to someone in situations. Yeah, it's... um. It's always staggering and, and also for me jarring when when somebody uses the word or the words normal person because constantly I'm just thinking so what is what is normal given all the yeah. work that we do what what is normal what what do you mean by that? Um, I, I wanted to pick up on something you mentioned right at the very beginning around uh, when I asked the question why you do what you do and you mentioned about you were brought up to be authentic and to be yourself. And then you also mentioned that um, organisations constantly talk about they want you to be yourself. I instantly felt that there was a I was thinking about the gap between the being yourself and organisations wanting you to be yourself. (laughs) And what's what's the experience you've had with that? Well, I I, this is one thing that is on my mind a lot and you know and I've had my very cynical moments sometimes with some organizations in other cases because you know there are certain things and also from a marketing and sort of positioning things but if a company has a recruitment page you're going to want to look as inviting as possible it's almost like that old coca-cola advert where the person's like I'd like to teach the world to sing and has this whole idea of everyone together or you know sort of in this lovely way but actually then you get to the office and everyone looks the same and then you realize that actually you're, and so that's where that gap that I think you're talking about is definitely there um, and I think that interestingly the most diverse in some cases seem to only live on the website it seems because you don't see them anywhere else when you start in the company I've seen that happening sometimes I was like where are they I was like oh my goodness it's like an episode of Black Mirror does diversity only exist in the screen you know but not everywhere else you know it's that kind of moment (laughs) we've all seen those websites if you've worked in this industry as long as we have but it was interesting to observe that and I have realized that there is a version of authentic that there's there's the being yourself, but then there's being your work self. And that's one thing that we all have to be seen to do to be professional. But also, I think it's about our own personal brands that we have. Um, but also, I think ultimately, it's about the culture of a business genuinely. If your culture genuinely is open or it wants people to really express themselves in certain ways, then that's really, really good. But that should that's already there and that's worked on. That isn't being too told to me very explicitly in the marketing all the time Mm. and you mentioned there about work self and we know that organizations usually use strap lines around freedom to bring your whole self to work honestly is that a reality and and is that a reality we we really really want I think it varies I think it varies and there's elements of our whole self that I don't think we ever want to bring to work and we shouldn't, you know, sort of the, you know, and I think that we will, we should only bring what we are comfortable to bring to work. And we should also be able to talk about things without that fear. Basically, it's about better psychological safety, if anything, you know, where, you know, for me, being able to be my whole self at work means that I know that, you know, where I've had some 
brilliant leaders, you know, sort of who I report to now and even my predecessor leader, who I think you know quite well, um, knowing that you can even have an open moment to just say, you know what, I don't feel so great today. And knowing that you're not going to have someone that or you're not then suddenly thinking like, great, if I wanted to talk about a pay rise or promotion, that's now off the table. Or even a very simple thing of, you know, knowing that are you allowed or could you feel that you could actually have a different opinion to someone that you work with? And it's not going to be this kind of, you know, battle of wills. So I think in that element, that's really important. I also think it's important that you feel safe and comfortable. And I think, you know, in lots of different situations, knowing that you have a team that has your back when you're not in the room. That to me is yeah. some of the most fundamental important things about that. And so for me, have it, everyone doesn't have to know exactly what everyone did on Friday night, you know, or anything like that. As I think it's also important for us to respect and know that what we choose to discuss with people we work with can be private. And in the same way, some people feel very open to say about every aspect of their life, some people aren't. So it's important to be really respectful to that as well. And it's not a case of someone's not being very forthcoming or giving. It's just that some people very much think my work is here, but my life, you know, it's it's how we organise our lives in the way that we all organise our inboxes and our calendars completely differently to each other. Yeah. And and I think they're, they're really good points that you mentioned around that element of, you know, psychological safety or being a nice workplace isn't necessarily the having the quick conversation of what did you do on the weekend or what did you do last night? But it is knowing that people in the organisation and your team have got, got your back. That That's a significantly more important aspect, isn't it? But yet many organisations still focus on the have have two minutes on a Monday morning and say did you have a good weekend and then and then that's it thinking that that's creating an inclusive workplace I want to I want to touch on some points that you mentioned you you, and you talked about um, transitioning and um, I want to get some information from you or or your experience if if you're happy to share it around what was it what was it like for you transitioning and if you And if you were to give advice to an organisation or to managers around how they can support and make that that situation and and that experience more positive, what would that be? I think, again, that's a great question. I would definitely, definitely emphasise all companies, if you haven't got one in place already, have some sort of policy or guidance in place proactively. Because one thing I've noticed is don't wait for a colleague to transition and then what? I call the HR hot potato starts where people sort of go, ah, what are we all going to, you know, and it's kind of, it's not great. And I think guidance and support for how people can have really good conversations, because I think that people, sadly on this topic, haven't been given the best information or there's a lot of noise in the media globally and again the thing that's missing in that and all I'll say on that because this is also something we should always remember with bias combating as well is Mm -hmm. when you get when you're receiving a lot of information especially from media as well and areas like that look at the sources a bit you know so the people that have those voices or opinions that you're you know that you're observing are they from that community is the first question you know is there a trans or non-binary author or someone's voice or quote in there as well because I think everyone has to make their own decision that's the thing I'll be really really clear on but I think and I'm like this too in order for me to make my decision or my opinion I like to look at as many sources as I can or know that I've looked at both sides of something because 
I just don't like just having one opinion and that's it because I I am an individual. I'm going to think with my own thoughts and we all have that. So, you know, our freedoms of speech, our freedom of thought is there, but we also have to actively be a participant in that. And have we done our reading on that or done our research? That's my, that would be my only sort of point there. Um, mm. In addition to that, I think in workplaces, the fact is there will be someone that's trans or non-binary at some point in your working career. Statistics are telling us that. Um, basically, I, I'd say the trans and non-binary community globally are the other one percent. Basically, so that's the sort of way to look at it. Um, so you may not, or you may know of someone, but you know it's not some big trend or anything like that. People have always existed. It's just that now more and more places which is really helpful now, are starting to include that in demographic data sets. We're getting a much better look at actually or a clearer picture of gender identity as a, as a whole, you know, and that's the thing. And some people are not, you know, trans or non-binary, and that's absolutely fine too, you know, but some people are. So all it is is it's just an extra data point for certain people. But in terms of organisations, what they can be doing, I think just always having you know better guidance out there and I think just in terms of just things that reassure you know sort of really because actually having a conversation isn't that difficult you know I always say it usually starts with hello you know and people say how do I talk to people you know it's like usually say hi you know and obviously we all have the skills already to be great trans and non-binary allies but we just use them a little bit differently for example many of us will know that we sometimes have a preferred name. That's all it is. Sometimes there's just a mixture of pronoun as well. And also sometimes just addressing people correctly, as we know, it's just a form of respect. And it's a really yeah. good way of doing that. I know lots of people that have shortened versions of their names. They're not trans or non-binary. You know, how many Joes, Alexes and Maxes have we met in our careers, for example? Mm -hmm. So in that situation, it's just polite. It's good manners. And also in, in terms of any type of um, interaction you have, whether it's a client, a colleague or customer or any of those other stakeholders and stuff, it's really good to get things right or just show that you're making that intention because everyone likes to feel things are a little bit more personalised. So again, this isn't too hard. Um, in terms of sort of differences in people, everyone can have things in their career that makes them feel different. If people have gone off for any type of long-term leave or even parental leave, maybe menopause, even things like that, they can have moments in life where they feel like a completely different person. Well, you know, transitioning is no different to that. The only thing, but the other thing I'll add on that is that when people transition, they're not doing it to be awkward. They're not doing it to be dishonest or to make life difficult for other people. It's a statement of truth. In the same way that when someone discloses that they're lesbian, gay or bisexual, um, they're telling you the truth. That's all it is. The only difference is this is a truth that you will tell where you are prepared to lose everything or where you may lose everything or where people step away from you. But it's never coming from a place of malice, deceit or dishonesty. So I think that's one thing I want to be very clear on. Yeah. And and just picking up on that last point, because um, that element of, the you know, this 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 truth that that people share and you shared when you were when you decided to transition when you felt that particular mm. time was uh, was for you to transition that can that takes a huge amount of bravery and it'll I can imagine be very scary at the same time and lots of other emotions playing around with that as well what is it that would have helped in that situation because you mentioned around 
being prepared to lose people, being prepared for people to think very differently about about you. Um, what one thing, and I'm sure there's many, many things, but what one thing would have really helped in that situation? I, I'll be very blunt here. I'll say courage from other people. I have found that the people that I found that were closest to me when you love someone unconditionally you will you know it brings out your kind of you know your sort of unwavering loyalty or it will be like well you're one of us you're my mate and it's people that stopped seeing me as this completely different to them or even if I am different it doesn't mean I should be removed from them if that makes a sense um so I think that's really important and I think the other thing to just remember is that when someone particularly I'd say with gender identity if they disclose something like that we're still human beings we still have thoughts and feelings and I think there's been a lot of dehumanizing of people that's been going on you know I mean there's only two things I wish I would have been told before transitioning, which would be I would have probably needed a PhD in biology because the amount of questions I get about, you know, genomes, I, you know, and I'm just like, I mean, I paid as much attention to biology as a lot of other people did. So, you know, and number two, I, did, I didn't realise I'd need a building degree either because the amount of questions about structural places of where you put toilets are, you know, I but, don't so understand the routing or of... filtration systems of things. <laughs> So a, a career a career split between being a doctor and a head of facilities is um, clearly needed then from what you say in there, like. Yeah. <laughs> I want to um, I want to build on some of the points you've mentioned because as we're recording this, uh, we're in June, so Pride Month we've seen a lot going on. I'm sure around different logos changing colour, and I know you've got different views and perspectives around this. We've also seen um earlier over the last few months um rights changing and being taken away and uh within different parts of the world and then we've also seen some comments around I'll call it infighting within the LGBTQ plus community and and you know different i different identities different groups feeling differently about different aspects around is there misogyny sexism within within the community from a wider point of view i'd love to get your thoughts on this whole intersectionality element of it because of course whichever group you are in if you want to define it as a group you're still a microcosm of society um how does the how do you ensure that the intersectional element of lgbtq plus is evident and considered in the conversations that you have and the work that you do? That's a brilliant one. Um, It's something that even I've made myself a little bit unpopular with, even with other people amongst different communities, because I think when we talk about LGBTQIA+, and there's always various, you know, sort of areas of that, ultimately it comprises of people, it's based on their sexual orientation, but also their gender identity. But I also think that we all still have to do the work in terms of identifying and looking at our own privileges that we have and also structurally what we're doing to be more inclusive to others because for example sometimes and this I'd say definitely happens in a lot of organizations people if they hear about anything LGBT they think of white gay men 
sometimes you know and I have sometimes challenged organizations that I've worked in um, with some of the network groups or ERGs or whatever they're calling themselves around allyship sometimes you know what else is going on in there so and I did challenge them I said well where I said when it was International Women's Day I didn't hear anything from you then or what about Black History Month or you know International Mm -hmm. Day of Disabilities that one really you get you, you could have crickets making more of a noise it's really important that we look at those areas ourselves and also be more open to the fact that other people experience things as well and you know just because you are lgbt for example does not mean that it stops you doing the work and actually and what i mean by that is you know making sure that you are looking at how you behave or how you're interacting and engaging with people and being as inclusive as you can in the way that you might expect people to be more inclusive to you because of your lgbt status you know that's really important because unfortunately you know racism and bigger structural issues like that and structural oppressions like that they exist that's one area that I do look at but in terms of the further intersections it's a case of everyone making more space for each other and I think the other thing if we boil it down to its truest form everyone is going to come out or transition or you know however their coming out is or have they're expressing their sexual orientation or gender identity differently we're all different. Yeah. So there isn't yeah. one way to do anything. So I think that's why we all have to make sure, even as communities, that we think about how that is. But at the moment with what's going on, there are very sharp um, attempts to divide the community um, because it's there's a bit of a tactical aim at the back of that when I've seen what's going on globally, sadly. But I just wish overall that if people don't like people from certain communities, and this applies to everything actually in the same way that, you know, I've never seen a racist person ever admit to being racist or someone being sexist being sexist. What I would love is one thing that I think they can take from the LGBT community is come out come out of it just say I don't like that group of people I would love there just to be that open statement as it stands I know it sounds very controversial but actually there's a truth in that rather than people making all these sort of tales up or making excuses or trying to legitimize the fact that they don't like a certain group of people um, because I think by doing that I feel better safety measure because I know who I should and shouldn't go near in terms of or who I know who I'm going to be safe with but also I think it allows us to stand by our actions more but as we know, people won't do that. And and I think that point of, um, you know, being really open and honest about it. Uh, unfortunately, I think we're in a world at the moment where there are more lies peddled generally yeah. about lots of different topics that are believed rather than the rather than the truth. We see that in, in politics in many countries, don't we? we yes. We, we see that in many subjects and and it's so frustrating and angering to see that when we're talking about humans and how they live their lives. Absolutely and I think my other point I've observed from an intersectional perspective actually obviously being someone with dyslexia is I really double check the meaning of words all the time and I'm also very frustrated with many words being used out of context. And a real classic one isn't even tied to anything here that we've discussed really in terms of the main identities, but just the word inclusion. It's funny how the more we talk about something that is about inclusion for a wide group of people, certain people are seeing that as exclusion and you hear a lot of noise about that. And that's the thing. It's like the actual context of words are being 
twisted and conflated to such a point at the moment and this polarity that's going on at the moment yeah. is quite concerning I, I think it's i think it's an important point around really understanding what the wording means i, I mean an, an obvious one that jumps to mind is how people use woke and you know the connotation of it how it's used is very negative however when you look at the pure definition of it for me, it's something really positive around being aware yeah. of social injustices and, you know, really being able to focus on that and being mindful of that. I agree. And I find it the other thing I find very miraculous is the people that tend to use the word in quite a almost perjurative way um, tend to be people that don't seem to like inclusion or, you know, seem to be quite almost, you know, I'd say a little bit bitter or a bit sour about the fact that, you know, that, you know, we might do a nice thing for someone. And in the same way around when people claim to be silenced sometimes, sometimes they're not. There's a difference between actively being silenced and you're given multiple, multiple media platforms to talk about your silencing, which if if we can hear you and see you, I don't really see that's the complete, again, context or definition of the word. But then on the other funny side of that, when sometimes the difference is people have just been disagreed with and there is a bit of a difference between, you know, I, someone disagreeing with you to sort of people saying I can't say anything and sometimes people have said well I just have a different view to you so again I think we need to actually listen a little bit more to each other and I think I hate to say this but look at our relationship with our egos sometimes because a lot of conflicts that happen anyway are down to ego sometimes. I've, I've got one question yeah? left for you given that we are recording this during Pride Month um, and given we see lots of activity and suddenly people that very rarely talk about this subject suddenly talk about it, change their change their logos, rainbow lanyards, cupcakes, all of that great stuff going on in their organisations. I'd love to get your perspective on what you've seen this year when it comes to Pride, but also what would you encourage both individuals and companies to think about as to how they can prolong the focus they have so it's not purely about you know shouting about this in June and then forgetting about it till next June yeah that's again I love this question there's a lot of layers to it um firstly I'd say don't treat your LGBTQI employees like unicorns where you let them out of the stable in June and then pop them back in for the rest of the year because you know it's not very nice and it's a bit boring. Also, we're not just, you know, pent up razors burst out with glitter and streamers and Kylie Minogue. I, mean, I know she's got the Padam Padam song, which ironically, when I first went to Pride 25 years ago, she'd released an album then and that seemed to be the Pride of Summer. So it seemed to have been, you know, she sort of, she seems to be a consistent sort of ally within She's got Pride a marketing settings. sorted. Got a marketing she certainly sorted. has. Um, but I think the main thing for organisations to bear in mind is that, I think it's important to mark other parts of the year as well, because obviously in some in different countries, there's LGBT history months, but then there's International Awareness Days as well. And to show those sort of moments, but also make sure that, you know, you can have your nods to really identify and show that you are supporting your staff in the right way. So by that, I mean, 
you know, make sure your policies are explicitly, we'll refer to someone as a partner or, and it's, you know, so in countries where it's, where that's being recognised, whether it's a civil or, you know, equal partner or, you know, those terms as well, make sure that that's sort of out there. Um, but I think really with what I've been observing this year with Pride, which is, um, I'm quite sad about, because um, I feel that basically, yeah, we've got Pride, but can we really be proud? And the reason why I say that is that, you know, being proud at work to me, that ties to belonging and things like that. And just by something that seems to be this sort of big, loud celebration and popping a rainbow on things, stuff like that. Yeah, that's great. And it's good that people are doing that to build that awareness. But remember, we're not just all about that. There's a whole history behind this. And the fact is, it is disgusting that we are still not there yet. Pride's been going for over 50 years. Um, and I just find it appalling that there is still a debate as to who people love and who they are in place um and the fact is i know that because you know this year with prides even happening in the uk there's been a number of prides where banners are being attacked this is what i'm noticing now and you know people that are supporting fascist fringe groups are showing up at things and being quite violent or making threats um i know a number of people that have been supportive of different transgender communities and also a wider lgbtq but in a sort of rounded way that have been receiving some quite frightening threats where even in some cases there are certain organizations or security firms opening their posts for them right now and this is happening here in the uk so I think that really there is a seriousness to this as well. People may not like people being LGBT, but actually we, as a community, we will all, always exist. And I think it's important that if we talk about those people at work or if we think, oh, we've got pride ERG and things like this. Well, bear in mind as well that your colleagues are going to feel those things the rest of the year as well. So make sure there's the support in place. But also just knowing that you've got a space where you can be because that's all you want to do. I just, you know, I want to be able to celebrate and I celebrate the progress because I really admire people that for over the last few decades and years have, you know, gone on marches, stood up for rights, lobbied governments and challenged things to get, you know, to afford me the rights I have today. But that's why I feel that in terms of giving back to future generations and as a mark of respect to other people's legacies, that I will make sure that I will use my voice or use any influence in a kind way. You know, I don't feel that I'm sort of, I'm not going to be shouting in people's faces. And as I say, if people don't like LGBT people, I just want them to be honest about it because I'm not going to I'm not trying to say you have to change your mind or thoughts but in the same way that I have you know you're entitled to space on this earth I'm entitled to space on this earth too and it opens that conversation doesn't it it you know being honest about it really does open that conversation and the opportunity to not convince but connect in some way to mm see the world from somebody else's point of view, even though you may not fully agree with it. Absolutely. And to me, I think when it comes to loving relationships, to me, all of us have the right to love and we will love. That's the thing. You can't control who you love or attraction. That's one thing that, you know, you, you can suppress it, but you'll just be very annoyed and, you know, full of regrets later on in life. But so, again, I just don't see what the big issue is. Because it's not taking away anything from anyone else. Um, it's not disrespecting the values of anything else. Because actually, again, when you're in a position, it's such a 
if for those that are in relationships, you know, to be able to say, this is who I'm with and just the little things that people forget, like knowing that you can just go and book a hotel room anywhere or know that if you're in the street, you can hold someone's hand without the thought in the back of your head is, is someone going to stare at me or kick my head in? Yeah, it is so, as you mentioned, it's so, so sad, so worrying, so annoying. Lots of other words that, you know, 50 years on, we're still having to have this conversation and, um, you know, people are not safe. Absolutely. And to me, I just think it's just on that note, it's just about just remembering it's about us all actually just giving space to other people. That's all it is. Um, nobody is trying to say anyone should be a certain way or shouldn't be a certain way. It's about it's a personal truth that we all have. And I think maybe that freedom that some people express or what it represents annoys some people or it seems to upset them. But again, it's a case of we all should look at ways to find our own personal freedom or find what fulfills us and makes us happy. We could talk about this for a lot longer. But I know we've got to we've got to pause our conversation, but I'm not sure I could think of a better way of pausing it in in what you said there. And I would love for us to um, come back together in a number of months time to say, okay, so what have what have organisations learned from this year's Pride and what are they taking into next year's? Because if it's much the same again, changing the colour of logos and talking purely for one month around how to be an, uh, an effective ally. Um, that tells us that we're not progressing in a meaningful way as we should. So thank you so much, Len. Thank you for your time. And, and just thinking about people that are going to be listening to this and listening to the podcast. So thank you so much for listening to our conversation here. Um, and you've also got further information within the podcast biography to be able to connect with us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Instagram um, or connect via the newsletter. And Look at the website as well. We've got so many different insights and perspectives from Leng over the years. Thank you so much, Leng. Um, Thank you. And long may these conversations continue.